We're studying unique passages in the book of Luke, and this is one of those unique passages. And I want to, um, I want to confess, I don't always preach a Mother's Day sermon. Um, I feel unqualified uh, on one hand, and it's funny, I do sometimes preach family sermons, Mother's Day sermons, and I was having lunch with a friend uh, from our church who's been a part of our church for a long time. And he was saying, he was saying to me that before they came to fullness, before they moved to Birmingham, they lived in another city and they went to a church and they were leaving uh, fullness one day after a Mother's Day sermon. And his wife said to him, you know, I sure miss Pastor So-and-So's sermons. And he was saying, why? I mean, what was wrong with, she was like, you know, Pastor so said, all, all, all he did was like talk about how great mothers were and how awesome, and he just built us up, and it was just incredible. And she said, I love fullness, but when I come on Mother's Day, Pastor Bart, I always feel like I come in overwhelmed, and then he tells me more things I should do, and I leave more overwhelmed. And I felt so bad. I was like, well, that's the last thing I want is for someone to leave church coming in condemned, feeling more condemned, and leaving church. But congrats, you're here on Mother's Day, and so I'm going to, I pray that this will be a blessing, that you won't come in, mothers, feeling overwhelmed, and leave more overwhelmed. But instead, I can delicately navigate this eye through a needle of, both saying, great job, and let's keep our eyes on the prize. Let's keep focused on what we're supposed to keep focused on. American author Jill Churchill says this, there is no way to be a perfect mother and a million ways to be a good one. The problem is for many mothers and fathers, but particularly mothers over the years that I've had conversations with, the idea of perfection is one that is somehow crept into their vocabulary, though they won't say it as perfect. They're trying to be perfect mothers, raising perfect children in an environment that's increasingly against them, and they come away feeling totally condemned, feeling just like they're being smashed down. I know almost no mothers of preschoolers who come away saying, I'm doing the best job in the world. Instead, Kathy will tell you, she talks to moms, young moms all the time. We had five children, and it's just this overwhelming sense of I'm failing. And I hope that in this sermon today, I can help lift the burden a little bit. Do you know what? Um, I'm not going to go through all the biblical examples but you can. And I challenge you to find a man or woman of God in the Bible who raised perfect children. Just look at all the long list of men and women of faith that you have throughout the Bible. Hey, I'll, I'll just stop here. The perfect father, his kids failed, right? Adam and Eve. I would say their father was pretty good. Perfect. And yet they failed. Why is it that in our environment that 
Our kids' successes or failures so much determines our identity. I believe it's a, it's a lie from the pit of hell in the sense of trying to impose on you a, a model of parenting that God never intended. And there are all sorts of ramifications for this. I was asking myself these questions, and we'll look at them a little bit today. How much of the results of the good things and bad things in my children am I directly responsible for? Now, you might say, well, a lot. There are issues that will rise up if you say a lot and yes to that question. How much credit can I take for the good results? How much difference does my parenting make at all? Is it wrong to, for me to see my adult child's condition as solely my doing? Here's the truth. You may be like, wow, he's being really. The truth is that if I see my children's behavior and achievements and failures as the direct result of my parenting, I will tend toward controlling and abusive behavior. Think about it for a minute. If I attach the significance of my children's decisions and that connection is to me and what I did good and what I did bad, then I will end up in an unhealthy place. On the other hand, to say nothing I do matters is sheer irresponsibility. And somewhere in here, is the balance of I do everything God has called me to do, and yet I understand that the results are not guaranteed. Right? Am, am, is this too much at this point? <clears throat> Thanks. Thanks for encouraging me. Here's the point. I think we need focus to look at what God has called us to do, and at the same time, we need relief to know that there is no guarantee and that I do my best, but the bad and the good, I can't take total responsibility for. That's where I want to go today. That's the intro. So how do we raise families in which the blessing of God is seen in our children. And here's the big idea. This is from Kathy. I steal this from her. Big idea. Here's the big idea. It is much more important that we disciple our children than we raise well-rounded children. That's the idea from this passage that I'd like to look at. That it's much more important that we raise children who are disciples rather than children that are well-rounded. I can't even say well-rounded right now. As Jesus 
I'm going to back up, and let me just say this. I'm going to back up to like verse 14, and I'm going to run at it, but I'm really focusing on these two verses. But I want to give you the context, because I can't help myself, uh, of these passages, and I'm looking at it from a specific angle. So it says, as Jesus was saying these things, this woman in the crowd yells out, hey, blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. And Jesus replies, Blessed, rather, are those who hear the word of God and obey it. So Jesus, I want to say this. Jesus is not bad-mouthing his mother. As a matter of fact, some of the the words here are are directly from the Magnificat that is found in Luke 1 and 2. So there's a connection here between this and that. He's not saying, no, she's not blessed. He's saying, you think she's blessed? Blessed at a greater level are those who hear the word. You think my mom's blessed because she gave me birth? More blessed. And that's where I want us to walk in is in the more blessing. How many homes need this blessing of God today? Rather than being beat up, condemned, put down, need the blessing. But Jesus was saying something before this. He says, as Jesus was saying these things... Here's what was happening back in verse 14. Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowd was amazed. Think about it. This guy couldn't speak. Jesus cast a demon out of him. Now he can speak, and the crowd is amazed. Well, not all of them. But some of them said, by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. You've got the three parts of the crowd, the amazed, the skeptical, and the show. Put us on a show. And Jesus is going to address this crowd. Now, there's a whole, again, as typical for my sermons, and let's go higher, the word of God, there are many levels here. I'm not in the, the, this is not about deliverance today. This is about, and I think what Jesus is teaching is really not about deliverance. He's teaching more on the kingdom, God's kingdom, than he is about the kingdom of darkness. And I think there are passages in here that also relate to the home. And so I'm kind of merging these together, but in other passages he speaks about the home. You'll see what I'm saying. So here's the first point. He goes on and talks about unity, unity in the kingdom. He says this. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to, he's not even talking about the words, but he knows the condition of their heart. And he says, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. And a house divided against himself, how can the kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebub. Now, if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. What what Jesus is saying in this is, and here's their strategy. They're saying, okay, what's happening is Satan is driving out Satan, demons, so that people will turn to Satan. That's kind of their logic here. I don't know if you're following me, but they're kind of saying, okay, what Satan is doing is driving out some lesser demons and giving credit to God, but really it's all going to Satan. And Jesus is saying, your logic doesn't hold. A kingdom 
divided against itself can stand. And then he goes on and says, a house divided against itself won't be able to make it. Um, the first point, and I'm not going to dwell on this because I think there's an obvious aspect of because I want to get to the later points, but you need unity in your home. You need unity in your home. And the question that you have to ask yourself is around what will you be unified? There are many ways for you to get to unity. In other words, you can agree that uh, this particular sport or this particular talent like ballet or this particular academic path, that is what we're going to pour our lives into for our children. You can be unified around a lot of things. But God, is, as you're going to see, is calling you to a unity that centers upon himself. But your house has to be unified. I've done a lot of marriage counseling, and I don't want to, I could use a lot of examples, and hey, a lot of you are here. Uh, but uh, I, the, the point is this, the point is this, many times the, the questions that first present themselves is, is in an environment in which there are two different visions for the home. You know what two different visions are called? Division. Division. <laughs> yeah. Uh, die. Two, more than one. Two, it's got different visions um, in the home. And it, it then it becomes an all-out war from there. I mean, you've got to try and figure out where did disunity enter the home. And many times I can't even figure it out. Honestly, I've done it for years, but I can't always figure out where the disunity is. But I can tell you this, rather than focusing on the disunity, if you can get them refocused on what they should be unified for, a lot will happen. A lot of blessing will come. So my first call is, to the, is this. You need to be unified within your home. Jesus goes on and says, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up the spoils. Now you're like, well, what does this got to do with unity? Well, he's saying, I, Jesus is basically saying, I am the stronger man. I have, there was a strong man, but I'm the stronger. And this, what I'm doing is casting out these demons by the power of God, the kingdom of God. He's speaking of himself. And I want to say this. The unity in your home will be empowered by the presence of God. Whatever is happening in your home that you think is providing strength and blessing, it's really, it, nothing is as strong as the presence of God in your home. Unify your home around the person of Jesus Christ, the power of the Spirit. Second point is we need reformation in our home. I, I struggle with this word a little bit, reformation. Jesus goes on and says, Two things. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Again, in your home, you need to see what am I pouring into? Am I standing with God? And, and again, I don't, I'm not trying to condemn. I don't want to beat you up. I don't, I, I, I'm, this is to me as much as you. But how many times do we focus on the wrong aspect? Again, we need to be gathering in with Jesus. And then he goes on and says, when an evil spirit comes out of a man, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find them. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept, clean, and 
put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that man is worse than the first. Again, a complicated passage. But the aspect here is this. Jesus is saying, if you cast out a demon of a person, and even if the house is in order, it looks clean, it's nice, but it's not replaced by the presence of God, something more powerful, the stronger man, Jesus, his presence is not there, the demons will find that empty, clean house and come back and replace it. Your house doesn't just need quiet. It doesn't just need peace. It doesn't just need cleanliness. It doesn't just need academics. It needs the presence of God. We need reformation in our homes in the sense of his power and his presence indwelling us. Okay, here's why I want to dwell. That was introduction. But the third point, I'll still be done so you can get to lunch. Um, We need blessing in our homes. We need God's, there's a higher call. You know, unity in the home and the power of presence of God, these are key. These are aspects that are absolutely key. But there are many people, all of us are looking for a level of blessing in our home. And blessing, I I, I mean this, blessed is the man who hears the word of God and obeys it. Blessed is the person. This heavenly contentment, this happy but more than contentment in our homes. Would you say, would you reflect on your home and say, man, I've got that contentment, that happiness, that joy, that. And then we look and say, is that even possible? Can we even get to that level? As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. He replied, blessed rather those who hear the word of God and obey it. This level of blessing, you, I mean, it's incredible to think about. I think Jesus is projecting in faith that you can be more blessed than Mary, the mother of Jesus. In the sense of just in her birth, in her motherhood. There is a higher calling to the family of faith in who we are in Jesus. So, let me just say a couple of things about this. First is this, family success does not equal true blessedness. Family success does not equal true blessedness. I want to just focus here for a minute on this aspect in our society. Okay, if this has just been me, then I'll just talk to me for a minute. But I confess that there have been times where I think I've been guilty of finding a certain measure of self-identity in the success of my children. I, I'm blessed. I have high-achieving children. Um, just yesterday, I'll show you a picture. Friday. <clears throat> Friday, I went to the graduation of my youngest from college. Yes. We like several families in our church. <clears throat> We're five for five. Five children, five college graduates. Now, if I'm not careful... I can find a certain satisfaction that is not quite healthy 
in the success of my kids or their success. But you know what the corresponding issue here is? If they fail, which they're going to because they're humans, they're going to have failures, then I'm going to find a, a, a measure of guilt or condemnation in their failure if I attach my identity to theirs. So I, I just want to say this straight out, that fam we, we don't have our eyes on the right prize, the blessedness. If you think you're going to get blessing from your children's success, I think we're going to be, it, am I making sense? Do you understand how too many times we do this? We attach that to them. Now, again, I'm not wishing for my kids to fail. I'm not self um, taking myself apart for them. I pray for all of my children every day. But at the same time, I've got to be aware that if I aim for the wrong thing, then I might actually hit it. There's a book that came out uh, just before the pandemic erupted. It's by John Tierney and Roy Baumeister. It's a book on negativity, actually, and I read part of it. It's called 9-11, Act 2. 9-11, Act 2. And it's an it's a analysis of data and other things that happened as a result of 9-11. And one of the aspects that they've got statistics on is that following 9-11, people got afraid to fly. They didn't want to fly. Makes sense, right? Because planes are crashing in the building. So they didn't fly. Instead, what did they do? They drove to their destinations. The estimates from uh, analysts are that as a result of people driving rather than flying, 1,600 additional people died because they chose to drive rather than fly. Now you're saying, well, it starts to make your head spin after a while, right? But what the point I'm trying to make is this. If you aim for family success and you hit it, then there are going to be results that are negative within your family as well. You'll miss the true blessing of God because the two don't equate to each other. How I see it and sort through it is kind of like this. What I do matters, but I want to protect myself in how I handled things. How do I help my children become all that God has for them? I, I sense, just in my years of experience in pastoring this, that much of the overwhelming guilt of parenting has to do with, in some way, this connection. Let me let you behind the curtain just for a second. You may not find this funny. I think it's hysterical. But <clears throat> we're in a building that's like 40-plus years old. I mean, things start to break in a building that's 40-plus years old, right? I mean, that's just the nature of things don't last that long. Probably once a month, maybe more. I'm giving grace here. Probably once a month plus. Someone came to me 
after church or one of our staff and said, the toilet in the men's room is broken. The toilet in the women's bathroom, the toilet in the fellowship hall, is, there's some toilet broken. At least once a month, maybe more once a month. So when they had staff meeting, I, I just said, okay, it's time. Let's replace the toilets in the building. Let's just replace them all. It's time. Now, you may not know this, but the two things that guests, visitors, this is like totally off skilter, but the two things that people will not return to your church for, ugly nursery, bad bathrooms. You're like, no way. I, I'm just telling you, if guests come, you're like, those are the things you think about. What about prayer and the spirit of God and the blessing of God? Hey, they'll, they'll come for that, but if the toilet is overflowing, they're not coming back. <laughs> Thank you. Over three months ago, we spent somewhere between fifteen and twenty thousand dollars and replaced all the toilets in the church. In three months, not one of you has come up to me and said, <laughs> "Not one." Pastor, thank you. Those are great toilets. Why? Because I'm not in the toilet business. We're in the people business. But if I measure, if I, if I get offended because no one says thank you, I bet not one staff member, not one trustee has gotten a thank you over this issue. Why? Because it's not, it's not, you know what? Success in your family, I, I want to say, is at about that level. If you aim for it, you're aiming for a much lower goal than what God has for you and your family. That may have been a little too much, but we'll move on. <laughs> Second, you're going to remember it, though. You're going to go home. What did your pastor talk about? New toilets. Talk about the new toilets in the church. <laughs> the word of God is a word of blessing. The word of God. Blessed are those who what? Hear the word of God and obey it. Hear the word of God. The word of God in your life is a blessing. Receive it as a blessing. Dwell on it as a blessing. Let the word of God permeate your home. James Simpson was a pioneer in the field of medicine who discovered really the anesthetic qualities of chloroform. The British Medical Journal noted that this invention changed the face of medicine for a century. When asked about, now listen to this, when asked about his greatest discovery, James Simpson said this, it was not chloroform, it was how, it was to know I am a sinner and that I would be saved by the grace of God. A man has missed the whole meaning of life if he has not entered into an active living relationship with God through Christ. To me, that's the word of God. Not what we achieved, but how we received, how we received God's word. What is it you're receiving? What is it you're pouring out in your home? Let the word of God dwell in you richly. Richly. It should just overwhelm you. Because the word of God will provide blessing in your home. This is where I'm stuck, Zach. Uh, third point is this. 
Discipleship equals true blessedness. Discipleship equals true blessedness. He replied, blessed are those who hear the word of God and what? Obey it. This is the picture of discipleship. Hearing the word of God and obeying it. Hearing the word of God and obeying it. If you want blessing in your home, then you're listening to the word of God, pouring out the word of God. And listen, parents, I think the best thing you can possibly do is yourself hear the word of God and obey it. Just follow in God's path. Again, we have spent 30 years ministering in this place. Raising children. We've got second generation, third generation starting in this place, which is awesome. But at the same time, I, I know our successes and I know our, I don't want to say failures, but I know those children that were raised in this church that have slipped off into the darkness. And if I'm not careful... I start to find my measure of success by how I've pastored. Where did they go? What did we do wrong? How did this turn out? What happened? How did this occur? Why, why do, is this... As a church and as a family, what I'm asking and hoping in grace to present to us is that we need to stay unified around the things that really matter because we will become divided if we let our focus go into the million different things that the world is trying to press on us right now. We need to keep God's mission for the church by the unity of the Spirit, by the power of God, what we do. We need to stay unified. We need to understand that it is truly the presence and power of God in the house of God, in the people of God, in the families of God that will change things. We need a reformation, so to speak, of our hearts with the presence of God. And we need to know what true blessing looks like. The word of God, in the people of God, following the path of God, so that we can raise families and churches that follow after him. My Mother's Day message to all of us is this. We have seen, we see the goodness of God. You may not feel it right now. You may not sense it in certain ways, but we know the goodness of God. There may not be guarantees for the future, but there is a path forward as we pray, as we love, and as we direct. Join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you this morning. We pray that, God, you would direct our paths. Lord, I pray that right now, as the people of God, we would focus on what is true blessedness. God, forgive us where too often we've measured our success by our children's successes. Instead, Lord, we want to pour out on them. We want, to, we want to continue to bless them. We want to guide them and direct them. But at the same time, we know, Lord, that ultimately they are in your care. God, I pray this morning 
for our families. I pray for our mothers and fathers. I pray for single homes. I pray for those homes that will be future parents. I pray for those homes that don't have any children. Lord, I pray that God, all of us, single to older grandparents, that God, we would keep our eyes fixed on hearing from you, hearing your word, and doing your word. Hearing and doing. Lord, I pray the mission of the church will be to teach them. Go and make disciples. Teaching them to do, observe, obey everything that you've commanded, O oh Lord. And in that, we will find the power and presence and blessing of the Lord. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your power. We thank you for your might. We give ourselves to you afresh and anew right now in Jesus' name. Let's stand.